Good evening and welcome back again to our worship service. It's good to have some friends and more family with us tonight. And I really appreciate your presence and support. It's a blessing. And I don't know how far I would need to go before folks from my home church stop coming. So <laughs> I'll keep track of it. I'll see how far that is. But it's a blessing to have their support and have them here tonight. I really enjoyed the singing again and, you know, appreciate, appreciate good singing in a congregation. And that's part of worship. Part of worship is singing. And what's in here can come out. <laughs> and I, I hope you feel that way at times, that what's in here has to come out. And singing is one of those ways that happens. Well, we're back to our little word study here again. Did any of you juniors figure this one out? How do you say this word and what does it mean? Just speak up because I may not see you. Tony. Yes. Okay. So he said Haberton. It also can be said Habergian, I think, is also another pronunciation of the same word, but that is correct. And there's a, there's a very familiar account where this word is used, and it actually gives more depth to it if you understand it. And uh, what, I'll give you a little explanation of what it is. It's a sleeveless coat of mail. And I was thinking to myself, well, how did they do this back in the day? Well, what they would do is it, they would take a leather harness and it was basically a leather sleeveless coat, and they would sew pieces of metal to it. So you've probably all seen, you know, armor, you know, back in the day of that knights would wear, this braided, really finely braided armor. Well, this was just simply leather with pieces of metal, and it would protect the neck, and I assume it started up a good ways, and it would come down, if I'm not mistaken, about here. And it did not have sleeves on. And the reason for that is because they were throwing spears or swinging their sword or shooting arrows. So you couldn't have your arms too uh, tight. And so it was a piece of armor. And the interesting thing is in Nehemiah 4.16. This is when Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall. And his enemies were attacking him. And this is what it says in Nehemiah 4.16. And it came to pass from that time forth that half of my servants wrought in the work... And the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows, and the Habergians, and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. So what was going on here was that with the attacks from their enemy, half of them had to stop working and hold all the armor. <laughs> they were there holding the armor while the other half worked. And I assume if there was an attack, they would quickly throw on these uh, Habergians and, and start fighting. And so it just helps us to understand that verse a little bit more. I think we understand what a spear and a shield and a bow is. But what was this thing? I, I didn't know myself exactly what it was. Um, so thank you for, for sharing that. I have another word for tomorrow night as well. And I'll write that up here. All right, I hope I spelled that right. Now, I'll spell it for those on the phone. I think I forgot last night. S-I-M-I-L-I-T-U-D-E. And I think I spelled that right. So we'll look for your input on that tomorrow night. Now, that's a New Testament word, too. So you, 
You really need to understand that one. <laughs> okay, thank you for your help on that. Well, as I said earlier this week, tonight's message is a message of personal encouragement. I hope you feel that it is that when we're done, and I think you will. But the um, title of the sermon tonight is When God Says No. When God Says No. You know, we've been praying every night here before we come out here. We have lots of requests, lots of good requests. And yes, we pray in our personal life and we pray in church life. We pray almost everywhere we go as a Christian people, we pray. And we ask God for things to happen (laughs) or for things to change. We ask all these things of God. But the reality is that sometimes God says no. And the question for us is, what do I do when God says no? You know, God has often told his people no. I went through the Bible and I was just jotting down names and I couldn't jot them all down, obviously, just a few. One of the, thing, one, one of the ones that stood out in my mind originally was Balaam. Now, he wasn't necessarily a good man, but he was asking God, and God repeatedly told him, no, you can't do this. He sought the Lord's direction multiple times. And then you think about David pleading for the life of his child. God says, no. David said, I want to build a house for the Lord. And God says, no. Elijah was in despair and desperation. He said, Lord, take my life. I don't even want to live. And God says, no. Paul was set to preach the gospel in Asia Minor, but the Holy Spirit told him, no. And then later, Paul wrote that there was a thorn in his flesh, and he besought the Lord three times to take it away. And three times, God said, no. And not only that, Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane asks God three times, if it be thou wilt let this cup pass from me, and three times God said no. And these weren't just casual requests. These were not just ordinary men. These were men who prayed earnestly. These were men who had a relationship with God. These men had seen great things happen. And if you look back, look at what David did. He he was just a shepherd boy, and he killed Goliath. He was a man after God's own heart. And look what Elijah had done. He was a prophet of God. And when he prayed to God to call down fire on that altar, it happened. It happened. And it burned it all up. And then you think about Paul. He experienced shipwreck and beatings in prison. But he raised the dead to life again. It only took one prayer to raise that man to life again. But with three prayers for the thorn in the flesh, God said no. God said no. And yes, Jesus was the only begotten Son of God. And look how many miracles he performed. You would think if anybody would have got a yes from God the Father, it would be Jesus, his Son. Was that a casual prayer request in the Garden of Gethsemane? Absolutely not. Not when a man is sweating drops of blood and saying, Lord, my spirit's willing, but my flesh is weak. And God was his father, and it was his tender, only begotten son. There, there's, 
And he said, no. He said, no. All these men had to face the reality of God saying, no. Has God ever answered you with a no? Maybe you asked for healing and God said no. Maybe you had a desire to get married, but nothing's working out. Maybe there's some girls that said no. (laughs) But what was happening? God said no. And that's discouraging. Maybe tonight you're a young couple and you have a desire to have children. I don't know your congregation tonight. But there have been couples who wanted to have children so bad. And God said no. Maybe you pray for relief from stress, personal anguish. Maybe you're in troubled relationships. And you say, Lord... Spare me. I want peace. And yet the answer looks like no from God. Looks like no. Maybe you're praying for a lost family member or a neighbor, and it doesn't seem that there's any hope at all. Year after year, you're praying for your neighbors. And yes, sometimes we ask for some very simple, practical things. You've asked God for rain on your crops, and no rain comes. And maybe you mothers have asked God, maybe sweating tears. I'm not going to say blood, but you're saying, Lord, I need a night of rest. My children, keep me up all night. Lord, just one night. And he says no. He says no. And maybe, maybe on the men's part here, the money gets tight. Maybe the jobs aren't coming in. Not enough money to go around. You said, Lord, where are you at? It seems like God says no. And maybe tonight you've even asked for an opportunity to serve the Lord in a mission somewhere. He said, Lord, I'm, I'm here. I want to go. I want to do your work. And the answer is no. And the answer is no. And that's the question for us tonight. What are we going to do when God says no? And I don't want to let us leave here tonight thinking that God never says yes. God does say yes. We have many examples of God saying yes. Solomon asked for wisdom and he got it. Hannah asked for a child and she received it. Hezekiah asked for a longer life and God gave him 15 years. And Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit and God granted that request. And yes, God answers yes many, many times. But the real test of faith is when he says no. It doesn't take a lot of faith when God is answering our prayers, does it? This is just working out great. I've prayed yesterday and the answer happened today. Doesn't take a lot of faith. But you know what? No one is spared, I believe, from getting a no from God. There are many times in your life, and maybe you're here tonight thinking, I'm the only one that always getting no's from God. And you look around and everybody has a wonderful testimony. And they're they're getting answered prayers. Miracles are happening. Great things are happening in their life. But I can guarantee you tonight, somewhere in their life, God said no. Maybe in some other area. Maybe previous years. Somewhere in their life, God said no. And what are you going to do when God says no? That's the question. And you know, sometimes we wrestle with that question and we go to some verses in the Bible and we say, we read them and we say, didn't God promise to say yes? <laughs> didn't he promise to say yes? In Mark 11, verse 22, it says, And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God, 
For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What, what things soever ye desire, and when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. <laughs> we look at that verse, we say, How? How do you say no? Psalm 37, verse 4, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. John 15, 7, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Sounds like a guaranteed yes, doesn't it, from God. Psalm 84, verse 11, he says, No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. But there is a danger in going to these verses and building an entire theology around these verses. And we see people doing that today. Well, you don't have enough faith. You aren't going to get a yes until you have enough faith. Or we even have people saying, if you don't put enough money in the offering today, you won't get a yes. There's preachers out there preaching that kind of stuff. They get lots of people. I can't believe it, but they do. But let's not build an entire theology around these verses. Because then we soon come to expect that God owes us something. God owes me something. And you know, we can look at the entirety of Scripture and we get the real answer and we see that God's answer is not always yes. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Our request can be so good. We can be a man after God's own heart. We can ask the Lord for good things. But God still may say no. And it is one of the hardest things that we deal with. We can look at a young father or a young mother struggling with cancer. It's a terminal illness. And we say, Lord, why won't you heal her or him? It's a good request. We say, what will the children do? How will this go? And God says, no. We can pray for a wife. It's a good thing to get married. It really is. It's a good request. But God may say no. We can pray for children. Children are a gift from God. But he may say no. God says no. And the question for us is, what should I do when God says no? Let's turn to 2 Samuel 12. I briefly mentioned the story of David praying for his child. And we want to look at that as an example tonight of what we need to do when God says no. 2 Samuel 12. And I would like to have some testimony time afterwards because I'm sure that some of you all have some good testimonies to share along this line. And I would like to hear them. <laughs> I think everybody else would too. So feel free to share afterwards here. 2 Samuel 12, and let's read verses 15 to 23. Now let's understand the context here. David had sinned. And God said, as a result, your child is going to die. So keep that in context as we read this. Verse 15, And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. And David therefore besought God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? 
But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive. But when the child was dead, thou didst rise and eat bread. And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me, that the child may live? But now he is dead, and wherefore should I, should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. I'm absolutely amazed at the depth of knowledge that David had of God in understanding him. And it's something to think about when you read David's writings in the Old Testament. What should I do when it seems like God is saying no? And here David knew, I believe he knew the punishment that was going to happen. But I have a few points here out of these verses. The first point I have here is pray without ceasing. And you say, that sounds totally counterintuitive. That's what I've been doing all along. And God's still saying no. Yes, David knew the judgment that was pronounced on his son, but he placed his hope in the mercy of God. And he says that in verse 22. He says, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me? And I believe that's one important reason why we should pray without ceasing. God wants to hear us cry out to him. He really does. David mentioned that in 2 Samuel 22, verse 4 to 7. He says, I will call on the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from enemies. When the waves of death compassed me, the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried to my God, and he did hear my voice out of his temple, and my cry did enter into his ears. The reason why we pray without ceasing, even though our prayers seem to be unanswered, is that God wants to hear you cry. You know why? Because it takes faith and humility to cry out to God. We say, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to ask for. I don't know where to turn. God wants a complete brokenness in our hearts, in our lives. I think that's where he wanted David. And David prayed for seven days. He fasted. You know, sometimes we hardly know how to pray. We hardly know how to pray. And Brother Elam just read those verses, was it this morning? And we have the Spirit who makes intercession when it's just groaning for us. A couple months ago, I came, came upon an interesting story just to illustrate this. A daughter um, was getting her license. Her name was Barbara. Barbara's father took her to the high school parking lot for driving lessons. For this particular lesson, Barbara's three-year-old sister rode along in the back seat. While trying to negotiate a turn, Barbara hit, hit the curb. From the back seat, she heard a small voice say, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. And Barbara slammed on the brakes, turned around to the back seat and yelled, What are you talking about? And her little sister replied, she said, Your driving is scaring me. And that's the only prayer I know. <laughs> Don't we feel like that in the sight of God sometimes? We're scared. We don't know the answer. And we say, Lord, the only prayer I know 
is this. The only prayer I know. The Bible says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and save as such as be of a contrite spirit. And that is a blessing. And that's where God wants us to be when we are praying without ceasing. He says, I will be near to you when your heart is broken and when you are humble. And when you've said, Lord, I am nothing. What can I get from you? Psalm 131 verses... I'm not sure if it's verse 131. That looks like a mistake. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. And that is where God wants us to be. Our hearts, prayer conditions the mind and the heart and the spirit in humility before God. Pray without ceasing. And, God's, and David says that if we pray without ceasing, he will hear our cry, even though the answer is no. His ears will be open to our cry. You know, another reason to pray without ceasing is to understand what the will of the Lord is in my life. You know, if we decide to give up on praying and we say, Lord, I don't, your answer's no. I, I don't know what you want me to do and just stop. Do you think we'll ever understand the will of God in our life? We need that communication with God to understand the will of God. We need prayer for wisdom and understanding of what to do. When he says no. And so yes we must pray without ceasing. And here David did that for seven days. And it says that he was on the floor. It says upon the earth. And his servants went in and they couldn't get him up. For seven days. That is earnest prayer. That is fervent prayer. Second point I have here. What should I do when it seems like God is saying no? I wrote down here it is okay to grieve. It is okay to grieve when you receive the answer, no. And here in verses 16 and 17, obviously David was grieving over the condition of his son. And I know tonight that our grief is proportional to the requests we're asking for probably. We're not going to grieve over unanswered prayer when the rain doesn't come down and we pray for it like we would when we're praying for someone that has cancer, would we? The grief is not the same. But the grief is a necessary part, I believe, in our response to God saying no. Because it is a natural response to letting go of something that we really long for. Grieving, that's what it is. You know, disappointments can crush us. And we experience pain. But what grief does in my heart is, it tells me where my deepest affections really are. When it hurts that bad. And when God says no, and it's the thing that's dear in my life, and I have a hard time letting it go, it's okay to grieve. Because it shows us where the affections in our heart really are. As long as the grieving is not a bitter grief that separates us from God, we must be careful that that doesn't happen. And you know, another thing we need to be aware of in grieving is that we do not create an idol, or I should say, beware of when we're praying to God and asking for requests. We need to be careful that we do not create an idol out of the requests that we make to God. And then we worship that idol. We say, Lord, I want this. I want this. And we don't give up on it. And you know what grief can do? It can destroy those idols. Those things that we want God to do in our life so bad can become an obsession with us. And grief helps us go through that process of giving up.
the idol that we were worshiping. Another part of the grieving process, I believe, here is that we may discover that we are asking amiss. You know, through, through this grieving process, responding to God saying no, we may discover that we weren't asking for the right thing. We may discover that we should have been asking for something else. And that is important for us to, as Christian people to, to find out. James 4.3 says, You ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. And you know this grieving process that we go through is a learning process, hopefully for us. And we learn a lot of things about ourselves when we're grieving for the thing that we wanted so bad. And one of those things that we learn is that we probably needed something else instead of what we really wanted. And yes, through the grieving process, we may even discover sin in our life. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in mine heart, the Lord will not hear me. And that is a reality tonight, that if we do not know the Lord or if there's sin in my life, it must be taken care of. And I don't know, we have anointing services, and that's one of the questions we ask at anointing services. Is there anything in your life that would hinder the prayers for healing? Yes, the grieving process is okay. And I believe if we allow the grieving process to turn our hearts back to God, we can experience healing through that. It's a healing process. It is okay to grieve when God says no. David did that here. He knew the answer. God had said this would happen. And yet he still grieved. Third point I have here is seek to understand who God is. And this is the most amazing part in this, this, these pass, this passage here. Seek to understand who God is. What did David do in verse 20? After the child had died, he arose from the earth and he washed and he anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. What do we do when God says no? Can we worship him? Can we worship God? I think we need to because when God is saying no, we should be drawing closer to him and seeking to understand who he is. And how do we do that? We go to the house of God and we worship. We, we, if we want to understand God's answers, we need to understand God himself. And when God says no, it begs us to look at his sovereignty, his goodness, his love for us. We need to go worship. And let's just look a little bit at the sovereignty of God. One of the things we can find out when we're in worshiping God is we can understand what God has the right to do in my life. This is one of the things we fail to see when God says no and we're disgruntled about it. But what does God have a right to do in my life? When we look around us, he controls the weather, he can cause a drought, he can do whatever he wants. And in our own life, he sets man's allotment of time on this earth. And it doesn't matter if it's 19 years old or if it's 99 years old. God is setting the allotment of man's life here on earth. Allotment of his time. And he can allow tragedy and he can allow misfortune to happen to his people. Just like he allowed for Job. God can do that because he's sovereign. And he has the right to do anything he wants to do. And we can pray, and we can fervently make requests to him, and he will hear us. But he can overrule. He can overrule our requests. If Paul asked God three times to remove the thorn, and he said no, 
If Jesus asked his father three times, let this cup pass from me, and he said no, what happened? They were overruled. The will of God said no. This is what I want to happen instead. It's not that God doesn't care about our pain. It's not that God doesn't care about our suffering. It's simply that in his righteousness and perfection, he will only allow what is best for us. And we as men cannot understand. His ways are incomprehensible to us. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts. And we have to come to realization tonight and go into the house of God and worship a God who is sovereign over the whole world. And we just studied Job in our Sunday school lesson. That didn't look one bit fair to Job, did it? Not one bit. And you know, we look behind the scenes in that, that account, it just looks like that these heavenly powers are up there just moving pawns on a chessboard. Doesn't it look like that sometimes? It's God's right. He created us. We're subject to him. God is sovereign, and he can do it. Who is God? Who is God? God is good. God is good. We go into the house of the Lord and worship. We learn that God is good. And do you believe that tonight? When God says no, do you still believe that God is good? Boy, that's real hard sometimes, isn't it? Real hard. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And we love that verse. We love it. But it's really hard to believe it when God says no. It's really hard to believe it. C.S. Lewis said this about the goodness of God. A very good quote. He says, we are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out for us. (laughs) We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be, I mean. I'll read that again. We are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. Isn't that so true? That what God says is best in my life is painful. It's hard to go through. David was experiencing it here. If a man is lying on the ground for seven days, you don't think that's painful? Yes, it is. But God is good. God is good. And when he refuses to give us what we want, we must understand that it's for our good. We have to believe that. If we don't believe that, we will become bitter and we will turn away from God. And I know people who have done that. They're bitter because God didn't give them what they want. God says no to our desires. And you know why he does sometimes? To allow room in our life for him. You ever think about that? I want this and I want this to happen in my life. And God says no because he says, I want to be in there instead. In your life. God has to say no sometimes so that he is number one in our life. And yes, sometimes we don't see it in the moment. And we look back 10, 20 years and we say, now it all makes sense. God wanted to do this with me. To get me here, he had to do this. And he says no. The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. 
And when God says no, we trust. We trust in him. Another thing we learn about God when he says no is that God is love. And this is a question that I believe every person wrestles with. Why would God tell me no? Does he not love me? Does he not care about me? Well, let me ask you this question. Do you as parents tell your child yes every time? All the time? No, we don't. And not every time they ask for something do we say yes. And if you don't, is it because you hate them? You really hate your children because you're not saying yes. No. Are you trying to do them harm? No. But to the child, it might seem that way. Child wants to hear yes, but the parents say no. Matthew 7, verse 11 says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? What he's saying in that verse is, that you as parents can look on with more experience and a broader worldview and say, my child doesn't need this, shouldn't have it. Instead, I will give them this. And Jesus is saying, my heavenly father does the same thing with you. He looks at you in our finite humanity and says, they don't need this, they need this. God, when God says no, it's not because he desires evil toward you. He desires to give good, good gifts to his children because he loves them. And you know what the Bible says about God's children that he loves? It says he, he chasteneth them, he scourgeth them, every son whom he receiveth. And so when God says no, we need to understand that he wants to give us a gift, but it's something else. It's not what we want. And I just pray tonight that you do not allow Satan to turn you better toward God. God loves us, and he will give us what is best for us. The next point I have here, when God says no, accept the answer that God gives you. Acceptance of the answer. David's servants came to him and they said, what is wrong with you? You were on the ground for seven days while your child was yet living. And now he's died, and you're up and about, and you want food to eat. And this is what he said. While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me, that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And right there was a complete surrender to the will of God. David said, I accept the answer. The answer is no. In that last statement, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Indicates to me that David just closed that picture and he said, it's final. It's in my mind. He's gone. That's the way it is. And when God says no, we need to accept the answer. We need to accept the answer. And you know what? Accepting God's answer teaches us a lot of things. If we do not accept the, it teaches us patience. It teaches us surrender. It teaches us obedience and trust and courage. And it, the Bible says that about Jesus, that he learned obedience through suffering. <laughs> he learned obedience through God saying no in that Garden of Gethsemane. And there's a beautiful passage in Habakkuk. And I want to read some of those verses. 
and you don't have to turn there. Habakkuk 2.1, he says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I'm reproved. Okay? Habakkuk did not receive the answer he wanted from the Lord. He wanted the land to be healed and restored. He wanted everything to be great again in Israel, you might say. But the Lord promised judgment. He said, Habakkuk said, I'm going to stand back and I'm going to watch and I'm going to wait and see what happens. And this was his testimony in Habakkuk 3, 16, verses 16 to 19. When he heard what the answer of God was, he said, when I heard, my belly trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. He says, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like hinds feet and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. My friends, tonight, that is an experience to go through. When God says no and accepting the answer that it's no. And we have a choice. And Habakkuk says that even though all these things are going to happen and the judgment of the Lord is going to be poured out, he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. And I believe that's where David was. He got up and he went to the house of God and he worshipped because he accepted the answer that God had for him. My friends, tonight, thankfulness is so crucial in our response to God. And it's, it's proper that so many times when we pray, we say, thank you, Lord, for the blessings. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, when the answer is no. When the answer is no. Thankfulness is crucial in our response to God's nose in our life. And I just love that passage. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And in David's experience losing a child, that's got to be tough. But he went to the house of God and worshipped. And he accepted the answer. I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. A complete surrender. The last point I have here is that God's grace is sufficient. When God says no, that's not the end of the story. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, where he's talking about this thorn in the flesh. And I'll just read the account there. It says, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. What a testimony. And can you imagine this wonderful, mighty God we serve? And he says, no. But he says this, he says, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And tonight we don't like to be weak. 
But the power of the Almighty God is present when we're weak. He says that his strength is made perfect. How can the strength of Almighty God can be perfected in our weakness? And the only way it can be is when we accept God's answer and we say his grace is sufficient in our lives. And we can go through the toughest times here on earth and God may tell us that's exactly where I want you to be. But my grace is sufficient for you. God said, I'm not going to remove the thorn. I'm not going to do it. But my grace is sufficient. You know, this was a significant thing in Paul's life. (laughs) A Paul, a man of understanding of who God is, and this thing three times. My grace is sufficient. And my question for us tonight is, how will we ever learn to trust in God? If he never shows us how sufficient his grace really is. And we know, I think we can understand in our own lives. That when God says no, it is a time of testing for us. And it strengthens us. We would become very weak Christians. If every answer we heard from God was a yes. We would never learn to trust in him. We would never learn the sufficiency of his grace. God understands that hardships make us grow. Pain is gain, they say. (laughs) But God's grace is sufficient. And it's sufficient no matter how difficult or how severe. God will see us through. And you know, I I read the Anabaptist history sometimes. And I think of those brothers and sisters walking down the street going toward a flaming fire. (laughs) God's grace is sufficient. They could sing. They could rejoice in the Lord. That is a powerful testimony. He says in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound every good work. And that's about as complete as it gets. Always having all sufficiency in all things. And what is the requirement for us? In Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. That's why David was on the floor for seven days. Because he came to the throne of God to find mercy and to find grace. And what will you do when God says no? Will you come boldly to the throne of grace? That's what we're called to do here in Hebrews 4.16. So it's a question that remains with us. When God says no, will you turn away from him in bitterness and reject him? Or will you draw closer to him? Will you accept the answer? And will you trust and rest in his sufficiency? What are your testimonies tonight? I'm sure some of you have have gone through tough times. Feel free to share. I'm done preaching. (laughs) Sometimes a testimony preaches more than a sermon does, doesn't it? Has God ever told you no?
Any lessons you've learned from God saying no? Feel free to share. Sometimes there's unknowns when God says yes too, right? <laughs> we get what we're asking for and we don't know what all that means, do we? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't want to make you stay here all night. I appreciate your attentiveness, and I know sometimes I preach too long. But uh, think about that when you're in your prayer life, when God says no, and how you respond. Because it's important. It's important for our witness to the world, I think. When, we, when the world looks at our lives and sees us dealing with struggles and realities we face and we're resigned and surrendered to him, it's a tremendous testimony. Why don't we stand for a word of prayer? Brother Philip, would you lead us?